0: When you listen to the show, if we are wrong or we don't know what we're talking about, that is perfectly fine. And you can correct us anywhere you want on Twitter, on Instagram or on Facebook. You can find us at Not a Historian Podcast or at Not Historians. That's fine because we just jump on the Internet, go to the library, talk to people, watch some interviews and do the basic research we can just to show that two average Joes can do it. Exactly We're not historians
1: So first of all Let me assert my firm belief That the only thing we have to fear Is fear itself Well maybe he walked around with jelly beans That's what it is Maybe he walked around with jelly beans I think, beans so. I think he, And he was at the crime scene and stuff And be like Nah see Nah I got these jelly beans
0: see? Nah We're just two dudes that came up with an idea And we said we should know more about the everyday world around us Like why your beer bottles the shape they are In 1930,
1: the Republican controlled House of Representatives in an effort to alleviate the effects
0: of the, anyone, anyone, the Great Depression. Get ready to take notes, boys and girls. It's another edition of the Not Historian's Podcast with your hosts, Desmond Dunn and Shalom Agulava. Let's let's do this. All right, let's do this. I want you to imagine in your mind a ghost. Okay. Any gangster. Hmm. Any gangster. All right. Now I want you to shuffle through that deck in your mind. I want yeah. you to make it just gangsters. Just gangsters. From uh-huh. Prohibition in the Depression era. All right. I want you to pick one. Got one. Who is it? Al Capone. That's right. Anyone <laughs> playing this game at home, I just blew your mind because you picked out... You you know why? Because you know known the name. You know the myth. You know the gangster, right? Yeah. This is perhaps the only man to date that we covered that anyone on the street could readily identify by face, name, or nickname. Yeah. Like I'm sure people know of Machine Gun Kelly, that people know Nucky Johnson, that people can say Dutch Schultz. They may even know what a few look like, but could they put... Name, face, and nickname all together in a row. If we shuffled it, we should do this as a test. I think we should. That'd be fun. So let's see if people can. But in the meantime, I'm going to go with Scarface. My bet is he has the best odds. He's going to come with the highest percentage. And he is un—he's undoubtedly the epitome of a gangster during prohibition. Well, yeah, that, that's your—that's your word, but I'm stealing it because I yeah, actually think I can apply it in these terms. In All this right. context, he is the man. Uh, not not because so much he was actually the man, but because of how his myth has grown over the years, mm-hmm. how we know him, how he's been portrayed in the media. Al Capone is just one that we love to see. Uh, he's known for his rule over Chicago during Prohibition and his downfall at the hands of the FBI, of course, for tax evasion. Yeah. But there's a lot more to the man, Alphonse Capone. Al's fame comes from his leading of the Chicago outfit, yeah. um, specifically. Probably, yeah, is it
1: like an outfit like like FUBU? What what is that?
0: No, no, it's a crime outfit. Oh, crime outfit. Gotcha. And specifically, probably from the most infamous gangland killing of all time, the Saint Valentine's Day Massacre. Yes. And also, you know, his his, his downfall. Uh, these are all important things, but we should probably start where where you do at the beginning. beginning, right? Yeah. So, Al actually comes from Brooklyn, and uh, it's no surprise that before he even made to Chicago, he was part of the Five Points Game. Oh. Now, you probably heard of the Five Points Game. I don't know if you, you've done research, so I'm sure you've seen this name. Have you read about the Five Points Game? I don't want to get into it, because I think we have a show probably coming up on it. I have. Right. And we, I think we'll cover that more probably in the Lucky Luciano uh, episode. The best nutshell I can do on it... of. Uh, it's say virtually all the names that we have covered or will cover that come from the East coast during prohibition work directly or within this gang at some point. Yeah. Uh, most of what we know as the mafia and the mob in different areas, because I'm not saying that they're one unit, but in the East coast, all these little mafias, mobs uh, syndicates that grow out of it. They are all, I'm not going to say all, but almost entirely run by people who are at one point and not another five point Capone worked as an enforcer mostly yeah okay which is a, a little bit weird but um he wasn't afraid of action despite what uh people think I think there's a lot of uh portrayals of al Capone you see Al Capone in film and yeah. TV and what he he's usually portrayed as like a little square blocky dude
1: little like, like a little bit over
0: yeah, you know, he kind of looks like a Lego man. Uh, that's how they, they put him on TV. But he would actually be pretty close to, to your size. Yeah. He was about 5'10", mm. and he's pretty stout, and he knew how to scruffle. And that's even funnier when we consider that, like, you think that when I said he wasn't afraid to get in a fight, remember back to the Nucky Johnson episode. Where Nucky put him in a car. Right, Nucky yeah. Manhattan. Well, Nucky was like 6'3", <coughs> 6'4". Six, six, yeah. Big dude. Bigger than me. And he would grab somebody your size and, like, imagine taking on uh, Shea. Yeah. Like, that's what was happening. Yeah. And he was, like, getting in the tussle. Like, you you would realize that the little man has to have a lot of scrap in it, Right. I mean, he's not a little man. That's the other thing. It's not, like, I mean, we're talking about a small man. The dude is 5'10". Right. That's average height even for today. So, it's a normal guy. It's not a little guy. Right. It's a little guy in the context of uh, fighting a giant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Now, none of our... Well, unlike most of our previous gangsters from the time and place, his family is not directly related to crime. No? No. His his parents were immigrants from, well, Italy. Yeah. Yeah. As you might have guessed there. His dad was actually a barber. And his mother was a seamstress. Okay. So, not... He didn't hail from a life of crime, which is usually what we find, like, people that come from uh, father ran away, Mm -hmm. or dad was in jail... Or they were bootleggers. They had some sort of downright connection. Now, I don't know if his family had other connections. I I just know that that's, what, that's how his family was. They were barbers and seamstresses, apparently his parents. Uh, and given that his sort of work had to start at the bottom, because he yeah. didn't have these connections, he had to rise all the way up the ranks of the underworld on his own. Hmm. Uh, and even before he made it into the five-point, uh, where he can—that's where he consolidated his power and his reputation. Yeah, he was involved in some of the games, and I have to say this: uh, having researched, I, I don't know how many gangsters we researched. Probably several, several dozen, yeah. I'd say. Uh, just totally <clears throat> ones that don't make the show, and ones who are tangential, even. Yeah. Probably, probably over fifty. Uh, but his gangs had some of the best names. Okay. There was the Junior Forty Thieves. That, that, <laughs> okay. that, that sounds like that sounds like it would have been a New Orleans rap group from the late night. <laughs> yeah, it does. the Junior Forty Thieves and the Hot Boys present
1: the Junior Forty Thieves, oh.
0: uh, the Bowery Boys, which is obviously you know people know them, and then perhaps one of the most beastly names like I could still be a crew today. We came out with Mob Deep, but still could be a crew today. The Brooklyn Rippers. What? Yes. Dude, that sounds ruthless. It does, right? They would be on ruthless records. Yeah, they would. Uh, When he finally made it to the bigs, the five-point games. That's one of the big games. Yeah. Uh, He worked his muscle, like I was saying. And it was during that time that he got his nickname. And you know what his nickname is. Uh, Scarface. That's right. Scarface Al Capone. Which is funny because people always say it as Scarface Al Capone. It's never Al Scarface Capone. And right. all the other gangsters we've ran into, I noticed this, it's always name, nickname, last name. Yeah. Al Capone is Scarface Al Capone. Like, ain't So that kind of sets him up to be like the epitome
1: of gangsterism. You know? Yeah. Well,
0: I mean, you introduce him in that way, I guess, if you want. Uh, he actually got the scars <laughs> yeah. uh, while working as a bouncer at his ga- at a gang-affiliated nightclub and uh, it came courtesy of a fellow named Frank Galluzio. Yeah. Uh who Al insulted his sister. Oh. So you know that's how it does. Yeah. Uh now Al actually had a different nickname before this, obviously, because he was already they get nicknamed junk and they um he got the nickname Snorky. What the heck is that? It's an old timey word for snazzy dress. Oh, okay, yeah. So it's just yeah. like jelly what? Yeah. Jelly Bean was for being a dandy dresser, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so and we could have, look, here's the options. We could have got Scarface Al Capone. Yeah. Obviously bad. Yeah, really. Yeah, we could have got Snarky. Al Jelly Bean Capone, <laughs> and we could have got Snarky Al Capone. Snorky. I'm sorry, not snark. Snorky. Snorky. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know what the best part of that is, since we're already on talking about old school rap groups, is the Ghetto Boys would have had a, a member named Snorky. Snorky. <laughs> and he would have gone on to be the best known one of them. Oh, God. Uh-huh. That's just weird. That's think, so, you know what? That's so true. And the Grammy for <laughs> goes, goes to, to Snorky. Snorky. <laughs> Although the way they be naming themselves nowadays, then we might see that next Right. Right. Um, now, in the early 1920s, after he got the scars and everything, he moved to Chicago to work as a bodyguard. Again, he, he's apparently just a physical dude. Yeah, I imagine like Tony, uh, Teddy Roosevelt. You know how you see all the pictures of Teddy Roosevelt? Yeah. And you hear about him being a boxer and you hear about him being a hunter and an outdoorsman. You see him and he's always like a middle-aged, overweight-like dude with... Like a monocle, and you're like, yeah, really? <laughs> like not you not not like he's out of shape or anything. He's just a little bit out of the prime, and you're like, really? Right. Like I don't think. Fox so. or who? I feel like all the pictures we see of Al Capone are probably like that because I've seen pictures mm. of uh, Teddy Roosevelt when he was in university. Yeah, dude looks like a young Wolverine. Like he is just like ripped up. Really? Like not even old timey strong man ripped up. Where you know, like he's ripped. Man. Like he looked like he would embarrass anybody still today. And I was like... Maybe not today. Yeah, no. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll find a photo sometime. It shows you. You can Google it. Teddy Roosevelt in university is amazing. Anyway, uh, he moved to Chicago to work as a bodyguard enforcer for his former mentor and friend, uh, well-known gangster Johnny Torrio.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And we'll cover Johnny Torrio at some point, too. But he was bootlegging right then in the Windy City. Mm -hmm. So, fast friends, as they were, because they'd already known each other from New York days... It wasn't long till Capone was the number two man in the organization, which was then known as the Chicago Mob. Hmm. Uh, You know, that thing that everyone talks about. Yeah. Uh, Well, everyone talks about if your friends talk about gangsters and cry, (laughs) Uh, which apparently they probably do since you're listening to this show. You should get better friends. (laughs) (laughs) His first job was probably his most faithful though, since it's generally believed that it was during his stint as an enforcer at one of the many houses of arranged companionship we'll say, that Al contracted syphilis. Oh. Yeah, we'll get back to that. Yeah. He he got the sifties. So I don't know, I was trying to come up with a knife. Uh, Syphies doesn't work. Yeah. Well, you know, you win some, lose some. I mean you're right. The Chicago crew was in battle at the time with uh, Dion O'Bend's North Side gang. And it was this fight that was going, this war, that would lead out to the top of the Chicago mob. Um, see, in 1924, Torio and his allies had Dion whack in his own shop. He had ran a flower oh, shop. Yeah. That's where the Northside gang was ran. Well, this set off a huge string of events of a gang war, pretty much. that was already going, but this escalated that. But yeah. it set off the chain of events that would include attacks on Capone and Torrio in the beginning of 1925. So it's not that it's not that far, like it's a quick retaliation. Yeah. Anyway, they had a near death experience. Well, Torrio did. Uh huh. And the whole thing kind of went over to Al. So what what near death experience was it? Do we know? Yeah, he got shot a lot. <laughs> uh, they had these attacks. Yeah. Well, and Torio, when the Northside gang retaliated in 1925, they shot up at, Capo- at Capone and uh, Torrio. Yeah. Torrio got the worst of it. Al came out pretty much unscathed. And uh, after this, Torrio realized he was pretty much done. So he handed everything over to Capone. So did he die from this? No, not from this.
1: Got gotcha. I was just wondering. I mean, that just seems like a lot—an awful lot of
0: power to just turn over. I think again. I'm a. Uh, we can look this up, but I'm thinking right here. Um, he got shot. I want to say six times. I mean, yeah, okay, six times. Okay, and he wasn't 50 Cent, so that really bugged him. And he said, "You know what? It's not worth dying over." Yeah. Oh. Uh, huh. Yeah. Uh, the entire operation that he got. Handed over Alden was expansive, as you might uh, you know imagine. Yeah. Whenever you're running a whole city full of crime, I don't know if the whole city full Uh, a city's worth of crime is that what I want to say? Uh, Yeah, I feel like that's accurate. Okay, so he hands it over to Al, as you said. Uh, It's weird that he would do that, but nonetheless, you you make the calls, you know, and I think he knew the war would probably get worse. I don't know. I mean, he probably had to have known that it got worse. Uh, the cops, the politicians, the transportation, the unions, the liquor, all of it was under their control. Mm. Uh, anybody and everyone, I'm going to say, that wasn't fair game, he had in his pocket. So, like, if you were a lawman, if you weren't a criminal yeah. or somebody, you were on the dole. He, he had them. Uh, and he operated in a very ruthless, ruthless way. Oh, your Out- favorite. Yeah. No, I, I would totally get down with Al Capone on this. Yeah, uh, he would do fire bombings and shootouts as normal business. God, that's got to be detrimental to business, though. Well, it is. Yeah, yeah, you know, because you have you have before him, of course, Torio. Yeah, who I'm not lying here. Papa John. <laughs> Papa John. Johnny Torrio was known as Papa Johnny, but uh, like like the pizza. No, Papa Johnny was his nickname or the fox. Johnny doesn't mean the fox. No, no, that was his nickname, was the fox or Papa Johnny. Oh, I'm going to call him either one of those. Ah, uh, you, you may be forced to. I'll call him if I was forced. He he was the he was he was the head, probably the biggest gangster in America at the time when he yeah. handed this over to Capone. So you can guess how that worked. Now it worked out well because Torrio, again, does something that we're going to talk about him later, but I just want to point out, he does something that we talked about um, in another show, right, when we said that there's usually two type of gangsters. Yeah. Here's what he did. He took that way out. He went and bought that damn dairy farm. And you know what happened? What happened? He died at the age of 75. Okay. So, all right. (laughs) Buy the dairy farm, guys. If you're out there and you're running a small city full of crime or a large metropolitan Full of crime. Think yeah. about think about it. After your first skirt with death or the law or whatever it is that you realize you can't take, you barely got out of. Yeah.
1: Might be time to... You know,
0: Google time. dairy farms for sale. <laughs> right. Um, oh, now, good. quickly realizing that he was under constant threat in Chicago. Yeah. You know, because as happens when you start firebombing people. Yep. It's like, hmm, people might want to get back. He uh, promptly took over a suburb of Chicago called Cicero. Okay. And he based himself out of there. And this is where not only does he have people on the dole, he pretty much takes over the entire town council. Nice. Uh, he could do whatever he wanted. He had the safety. He was away from rival gangs, their police, and their politicians. And, of course, the, the battle to arrange all of this had taken two years. So it wasn't like he just rolled into town and, and did it that way. You, well, you can't just roll into town and go, okay, I'm in charge here. Right. Uh, the people hated it, of course, because mm. you have two years of war. And Al's own brother got killed in oh. the battle for Cicero. Golly. Uh, now, in the city, though, the war continued. It wasn't like he just got, you know, he built, he found himself as a castle. Yeah. But the war was still going. So uh, Jaime Weiss had taken over leadership of the North Siders at this time. Mm. And they had made a number of attempts on Capone and his associates. And the body count was just rising. So, as you can imagine, yeah. um, as with most things, the one thing you don't want to do when you're doing something illegal or wrong or shady or anything, you know, is I'll draw attention to yourself. So, yeah. And a rising body count is probably the best way to do that. I agree. Um, now, Capone did seem to have a knack for winning, hmm. if you want to call it that, because he also gunned down whites. Oh, and that was after a particularly brutal attack uh, that fell on obviously on Al, hmm. uh, which of course ended the entire war. You know, you take out Weiss and oh, I'm sorry, no, I lied. It escalated the shit out of oh. everything, bro. Uh, I thought it ended. I was like, oh shoot, okay, no, wow. No, Capone nearly back now, but he did. Bu- he he never bu- he, he's the how do I put? He kept his foot on the accelerator. He yeah. never took his foot off the accelerator. He wasn't a dude for breaking, but he did fasten his seatbelt. You know what I mean? Uh-oh, like, he knew he was going to hit that wall. He's like, well, we're going to do this. Click, Let's do this. With it's computer, like, oh, right. God. Yeah. Uh, his security was about as ridiculous at this point as you'd imagine for a, a mobster under constant threat of death and with nearly limitless funds. Like, yeah, uh, Al Capone, you, you know, we're not really talking about all the little details because here's the thing. That's not our show. Yeah. Because you can go on the History Channel. It's Al Al Capone. There's enough YouTube. There's enough. I'm I'm trying to show you things that maybe they don't have. The man escalated this war. He got handed the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. And then once he got in there, he really did live kind of like a feudal lord. Like, he took control from a friend. It was handed to him. After attempts on their life, he comes in. He sets up his castle. Yeah. Gets his whole town behind him. Riding around in armored cars, got bodyguards out the ass. Nice. Just going everywhere, but he's escalating this war. Like if you if you disagree with Al, that's pretty much signing your own death warrant. Like he's not taking any of this. Damn. Like he has a hot temper. He got that blood fire. Yeah. I can um, see that blood
1: fire. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, he ha- he has guns. He has bodyguards. He has armored cars. Uh, but his biggest source of protection is from the people he could buy. And that includes the mayor of Chicago, William Big Bill Thompson, who was mayor from 1915 to 1923, and then again from 1927 to 1931. Oh, man. Yeah. So this allowed Al a pretty wide berth in most aspects of his operation. Because the mayor, he's got, don't forget, he's also got cops and other politicians and regular people, but he's got the mayor. All right? So if, if you're looking at a chessboard... He's got one bishop. All right, but he's still got the queen in play. Yeah, That's the danger. Do you play Uh, chess? A little bit. Okay, just just checking. Because cops and citizens both hate bullets just randomly (laughs) flying at them. Yeah. The one thing that always was going to haunt Al was the violence. That's how he operated. But the problem was body counts bring attention. Yeah, they do. And what will turn people against you? Body counts and attention. And bullets and going through their windows, like in cops. Yeah. They don't... Look, I'm going to say this, and everyone please understand what I'm saying. The best day for a cop is the day they don't have to work. And that's the best day for us, too, because it means there's no crime. That's what yeah. I'm saying. So, I want cops to be out of a job because I want there to be no crime. That's fair. Al Capone put them to work. He was a job creator. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
1: And violence. Violence. I'm going to get a it. T-shirt that says Capone
0: in <laughs>
1: 2020.
0: Oh, oh man. It bring, that, that, this is the thing, though. Capone's uh, violence. Bringing back jobs. Yeah. His, his employment of police officers <laughs> yeah. and other people and hitmen. And it brings us to one of the biggest events, the event that really matters. All the stuff that Capone does is really built off the fact of his name, his capture, and this event. The St. Valentine's Day Massacre, 1929. Oh, yeah. Which, if you're wondering, was part of the war. Like, this is. I was, okay. yeah. Yeah, it's part of the war. And what had been escalating since he had come to town. Yeah. When they, the moment that they put Capone in the leadership, this was, it was pretty much a crash course. Hmm. Um, it was designed as a hit on Bugs Moran. Yeah, who you will notice did not die <laughs> right? Um, yeah, and the consequences weren't exactly victory, even with the deaths for Capone and his crew. Um, see, under the guise of a police raid on the warehouse that served as a front for the North Side Gang, which was under Moran's leadership then, a group of police, I'm using air quotes, yeah, entered the building and ordered seven men uh, to assume the position against the wall in the back. Well, okay. They then brought in a group of four gunmen who, well, they, they're gunmen, Oh, so they gunned. Yeah, I mean, I guess. They gunned, sense. yeah. yeah. Uh, now, see, a little bit of history on this, because this is actually what we do, and the interesting bit for me. Yeah. Unbeknownst to the men grabbing the wall of that Lincoln Park neighborhood building that morning, mm-hmm. the killers had ran a room across the street some weeks before and had been observing the trucking operation, which they ran from the warehouse. Yeah. That was where all the booze and everything, the bootlegging, the stolen goods would come from. They had it under surveillance that whole time. Huh. So, when they thought they had their man, Bugs, and his boys ready, they thought everyone they wanted to get the leadership was there. They swept it to oh. get them. But Bugs wasn't there. It was his brother, his brother-in-law, and his lieutenant, Albert. Yep. Kachalik, Kachalik, yeah. Al, Albert Kachalik, the bookkeeper, Adam Heisner, Hayner, Hayer? Hayer, yeah. Adam Hayer. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> Albert Weinstein. <laughs> Reinhardt Reinhard Schwimmer. <laughs> I can nail that one. John May and Frank and Peter Gusenberg. They, they were there, and they got a delivery of lead. You're like
1: the worst. <laughs> You're like the history announcer on the history channel. What did they get? I don't know, kids. They got some bullets. I mean, what
0: are you doing, man? They got a delivery of lead, man. Oh, man. Farm fresh.
1: From the lead farm. From the lead farm. That's correct. Were, were the bullets rusted?
0: Um, They were deadly, so they didn't need to rust. Got you. Got you. Um, and they came... And they got this delivery, which was basically all the lead oh. that two tommy guns and two shotguns can deliver. Um, once that happened, six of the seven lay dead. Ooh. Now, one was alive. Frank Gusenberg was alive when the cops arrived. When the actual cops were like... More yeah, it's when the, window, when the real cops arrived. Oh. Uh, but as men with 17 extra bullet holes tend to do, he died shortly after. Man. His last words were... No one shot me. What kind of nonsense is that? Yeah, well, he was either a stone cold gangster or a very oblivious. Either way, he was wrong. <laughs> Clearly. Uh, now, it's believed that the killers thought that uh, Bugs was inside. Yeah. And that's thanks to the fact that uh, Shank was the similar size. Hmm. And he happened to also, at that time when he arrived, be wearing a similar colored hat and overcoat and suit and stuff. Yeah. So, they thought that it was Bugs Morant. Uh, now, surprisingly, it was a cop car sighting on the way to the meeting that turned uh, Bugs around. Huh. Who, in turn, ran into Henry Guzenberg. Apparently, they're like Guzenbergs like they're all Baldwins. Um, ha <laughs> And he told them not to go either. They went yeah. to like this little diner or something and had coffee. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So, he saw a cop car on the way to it. Yeah. Uh, and instead of telling his whole crew. Well, they didn't have cell phones. I get They're that. driving there. I'm They're sorry. at the meeting place. You're not going to drive to the meeting place to tell them not to go to the meeting place. Yes. Yeah. Alright, good point, good point. I mean, we live in a day and age of cell phones. I feel like we, I mean that wasn't what I was going with, but that's a very valid point. Well, he ran you know. in, he just happened to run into old Henry. Yeah. He was like, Hey, name my good friend Henry Guzenberg. One of the eighteen Gusenbergs <laughs> I know and employ. Oh, man. Um Now the killers, most likely, we don't know for sure, were probably associates of Capote, <laughs> Taking yeah. a stab in the dark, all okay? right? Right. But they were probably not men of his own gang or his own hand like he, no he obviously did not do it uh, most leads point to the purple game out of Detroit what kind of name
1: is the purple game
0: uh, they were led by uh, the mass murdering machine known as the menace grimace oh <laughs> that was a good one he still wanted you can see his posters in many mcdonald's oh my god that was good <laughs> he, he, he lives in also a controlled city Mayor McCheese protects his ass. Oh, Mayor McCheese? <laughs> yeah, he got a bodyguard, Ber- <laughs> Bernie, and he runs around with a known known bandit and Berkeley. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry. Mostly points to the Purple Gang. Yeah. Who were out of Detroit and ran with uh, Capone. And probably used as bait to lure the men into the warehouse that morning by saying they had stolen liquor from Capone or other sources or some sort of stolen goods. They either wanted to fence or just unload them. They were like, hey, Northsiders, we got some goods for y'all.
1: And they were like, great. We love goods. Dude, Capone was smart with that, man.
0: Yeah. Uh, they should have hired better people. The other, Well, I mean, they did the job. They so we'll, we'll get. Well, he never went to jail for this. this so Capone's fine. He, he's clear on this. Huh. We'll get to it. The other one is Egan's Rats. That's another game from uh, St. Louis. Wow. Now, um, the reason I, I say that, there's two possible leads, is uh, there was a burnout caddy that the police later tied to the murders that was purchased to a dude that had ties with both games. Ah, gotcha. Um, now, there's also the possibility, which is. A pretty common theory that the cops, the fake cops, mm-hmm. were real cops. Which, I
1: mean, they're owned by Capone. He has control over the cops and whatnot. Yeah, so. even then, it uh, that's
0: pretty dangerous. I mean, look, Is it? Oh, I mean. Yeah. They're going to be on the take. They're going well, to get some money out of it. Well, they're going to get some money out of it. But, like, there's a difference in turning a blind eye and lining men up for murder. I mean, I feel like there's, there's not much difference. Because of mean, you well, maybe you would have done it. Maybe there were men like you, so I don't know. I, I, I just, I, in my, I mean, if, the,
1: if the price was right, I would have been
0: there and done it. I see that's my okay. cash. And so what I'm saying is, like, saying? I, it I would have got to, I know it didn't occur to me. So are you, are you saying anything? that
1: because I I have a criminal mind to you? Is that what you're saying?
0: No, I'm saying that to me, there's a difference. You're saying there's not a difference. There's a difference in price, <laughs> yeah, right? There's a difference and, in price, and I didn't consider that. So I mean, like, I knew it could be possible. I didn't think it would be likely, but maybe you're right. So that's probably why that's still a common theory. Could have, could be. I don't could know. Be. I don't know. I would love to find out what the cops were like back then. Uh, probably crooked. Uh, well, the description of the cops from a driver who sideswiped a car that morning uh, and another witness matched up with a known gangster called Frank Burke, and he was known for his perchance for dressing up like a cop when he was committing crimes. So when he went a crimin, he put on a police uniform. <laughs> Uh, and did it. Um, now, Jack McGurn and John Scalise were charged with the murders, but John was soon offed, uh by Capone. Oh! And Jack had his charges dropped due to lack of evidence. Well, that's so, interesting.
1: Kind of makes you think that Jack, or not Jack, it kind of makes you think that John had some uh, had some words that he with Capone, and he was gonna he was gonna snitch.
0: I don't know. I think it's just a possibility. Like, you know what I mean? Well, there's a one percent a one percent chance versus a zero percent chance. Yeah, is it improvement. Well, he let Jack live though. That's kind of my point. Yeah, uh, but Burke remained the main suspect. Ah, and to 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 be frank about this, he was pretty much caught red-handed. Oh. Um, police in St. Louis raided his place after he killed another cop. Yeah, after a car chase. Oh, uh, so yeah. And he was found with basically a still-smoking gun. Yeah, I could see why that would give him some time. And what I mean by almost caught with that, uh, he had vest, yeah. He had two Thompsons, two shotties, pistols, and a ton of ammunition, which the police matched the Tommy guns to the massacre. Oh, man. And the murder of another New York gangster. And his name was Frankie Yale, so you might know about it. Oh. So, definitely. also remember the five-points game. So, it's very interesting that all of this was tied back together. pretty much means that they knew it. Burke was never charged with murders, though. Oh. He did get life, though, for the St. Louis I mean, uh, yeah. murder. So, the fact remains that no one has ever been convicted of the St. Valentine's Day massacre. Though mm. we pretty much know this guy had to have some point. Yeah. And even if he was just getting rid of stuff, because he had the gun. Oh, yeah. Possession uh-huh. is nine tenths. Of blue. And he used to dress up like a cop. I mean that might be uh-huh. a
1: big piece of it too.
0: Now none of this has to do with Capone because he's far from it. He didn't you know he didn't involve himself directly with the action. Smart, that's the way he should be done. However, he's far from just caught free. Oh well then. He was actually called in front of a grand jury for violating prohibition laws. Oh yeah. Uh, but he said no. He said he was <laughs> too sick to attend. Nice. Yeah. Uh, turns out not that deep you can't just go, oh, guys I got a little bit of the flu today I can't show up um they slapped the cuffs on him the FBI didn't didn't buy his bullshit yeah um uh, uh, about a month after the massacre he was brought in for contempt nothing to do with the murders He's brought in for contempt that's sad and he would spend a little under a year in the eastern state penitentiary for contempt of court yeah a year What kind of
1: nonsense sentence is that?
0: Well, contempt. Okay. He didn't show up. So go get him and have the trial. He didn't want to have a trial. And plus, you know, they were pretty sure he had stuff to do with all the other crimes. This is how they caught him. Yeah. So it wasn't like, oh, Mr. Capone, you have this one charge. It's like, this is the only thing we can pin on you. So anyway, Um, he was welcomed home in 1930. Which, as you may recognize, is uh, Prohibition not going great. No. Uh And he was greeted home by being labeled public enemy number one. Golly. Now, Capone often spent time away from Chicago in Florida. He enjoyed, you know, having his place in Miami and doing stuff. Yeah. Uh, He was also greeted not only by being public enemy number one in Chicago, but the governor of Florida at the time, where he was probably going to leave, uh, gave him the boot. Oh. He was arrested for vagrancy when what? he visited a beach. How can you be a vagrant if you own property? He, he was visiting a beach when they want to kick, give you the boot. Did you ever see a movie called Rambo? Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: Point taken. They had those kind of cops, but for a good reason. Point taken. Um, now, Chicago also arrested him for vagrancy. So are you Nothing came of either of these, but yeah. obviously you are not wanted. You are right. a vagrant in Tartel. It's time for him to go.
1: I mean, it's probably safer that
0: way. Right. And again, instead of following Torrio's lead and buying a dairy farm, I don't think Torio actually bought a dairy farm. It's just a euphemism I'm gonna use from now. I on. mean, why not? Uh now, less than a year out of the pokey, he was going back in court for contempt again. And again he was convicted. <laughs> So, he was convicted of contempt the first time. That's why he spent a year. Yeah. It wasn't just like you're accused of contempt, spend a year in jail. It's mono- Monopoly rules. Uh, Is it? No. He, he, he had an appeal. So, serving time was a bit of a you know, non-start kind of a deal. But there was this little matter of tax evasion. Uh, which brings us to the second part. I find interesting about Capone. There's the massacre and there's this. The guy himself, you can go watch a billion documentaries on. Mm -hmm. These things are what's interesting to me. Because Capone actually kind of fucked himself on this. Oh, yeah? How? Well, it's not like you can hide the money that Capone had, right? Yeah. And it's not like he didn't see it coming because he had a brother whose nickname was Bottles who got three years for it in 1930. So, wait a minute. You're saying that Bottles got... Three years for tax evasion
1: before Capone even came up with Yeah, evasion.
0: so he so le- he had an opportunity to go legit with his numbers. So he well, I mean Or start like, paying
1: taxes on this. So money. he knew
0: it was a real thing. He knew the tax uh-huh. evasion convictions and all were a real thing. And he even tried to comply a little bit, like you're talking of. He tried to go with the law. Sort of. Um see, in nineteen twenty seven, the Supreme Court ruled that illegal money is still taxable. Yeah. Capone knew this. He tried to pay taxes on 100000 in 1928 and 29, but he couldn't come to terms with the government, and so he just didn't do it, which left him in the position of being hated, wanted, and having admitted that he at least wasn't paying the taxes on two hundred grand, oh, because he never went through with the deal. If he paid those taxes, he might have got a little bit of leeway, but he didn't pay them because he didn't like the way that the arrangement went. Yeah. So it's no surprise that when he was charged with income tax evasion in violation of the Volstead Act, which is obviously prohibition, yeah. he got the same judge that had sentenced his brother a year prior. Oh, man. Um, he should have got the book thrown at him for that. No, he tried to take a plea, actually. Oh, oh I guess i don't blame him. Well, he actually took the plea from the prosecutor. The judge refused it.
1: Oh, are you serious?
0: Yeah. I know they have that ability once it's been an agreement that was made. Well, they, they, they have to... You have to do it in court. And he said, are you pleading? He said, whatever the terms were. He's like, no. Oh. The trial was fairly uneventful. Yeah. Um, I remember hearing a lot about that. Yeah, I mean, it kind of just went down. I mean, he'd already admitted to all this stuff. Yeah. He admitted he had income already. Right. And it wasn't even Elliot Ness that was involved in the prosecution portion. No, 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 right. no. He, he, had, well, we're going to do an episode on Elliot Ness if you're wondering where he is. I think he's interesting enough. We agreed mm-hmm. that he needs to have his own show. Yeah. So he's not, we're not grouping him with Capone like people do because I think Capone's interest is that he's a young kid that comes out of nowhere, yeah. rises up the right ranks of crime, mm-hmm. gets control of this. You know, massive machinery of yeah. crime and then kind of continues to shoot himself in the foot by wanton violence and then admitting that his tax evasion. Also, we'll return to something I hinted on later here in a minute that we'll also be like, what? But hmm, the guy had already admitted he had taxes that he hadn't paid and he didn't yeah. have tax receipts. So he didn't really have a leg to stand on. It's kind of hard to fight that in trial. Right. He got 11 years. Damn. And a $50,000 fine. Golly. Well, that sounds bad until you realize it's $800,000 in today's numbers. That's insane. Oh, and he also got a tax bill because the fine is, of course, not for that. He got a fine yeah. for $215,000, which Man. is $3.5 million in today's dollars. Golly. Yeah. Talk about throwing the book at somebody. I mean, legit. So, um, seven years after he'd become the boss of Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. He was checking into the federal pen in Atlanta. and it's Shout here, out to the dirty birds. And it's here that we learned that Al not only had syphilis, which we mentioned a little bit earlier. Right. But also gonorrhea and a bit of a coke habit. Oh. Yeah. Prison was not the place for Al. Yeah. It was not kind to him. See, Al was not in the best condition by then. The syphilis had started to work its way on his brain. Ah, uh. And all in all, even though he was Al Capone, he was considered a pretty easy target by most of the prisoners that were inside that, you know, were going to target people. Yeah. Now, he did have enough connections and had done enough favors that he was looked after for the most part inside. But he pretty much had to be babysat. Yeah. Now, he got moved to the Rock. We've talked about this, to Alcatraz.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And he actually got stabbed there. Golly. Oh, and he spent most of 1938 in the infirmary due to the advanced stage of syphilis. Oh, man. He got paroled in 1939. Uh-huh. So he didn't serve a ton of time. Uh, the Chicago outfit had become smaller, less violent, and was nearly in control of all of Chicago by then.
1: Hmm.
0: It followed a different model, it backed down from its violence, it yeah. didn't have as many people running on the streets. Uh, it just was. Now, Al, in the state that he was in, syphilis being yeah. what it was, could not return to his former life. All right. Instead, he would spend about a year in hospital and then retreat to Florida, mm-hmm. where he had properties. And by 1946, he was examined and found to have the mental capacity of a 12-year-old. Oh. He had a stroke on the 21st of January, 1941, and he... Had a heart attack on the twenty second. Oh man! And he died on the twenty fifth. So very weird. shortly thereafter, he's just the syphilis just gets him. gets him. Was there was there a cure for syphilis at the time? No,
1: that's no. kind of why he didn't get the cure. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean a guy that has millions of dollars. Now there are treatments and there are things that could have been done. Yes, yeah, but not in his state. Got you.
1: That's the issue. Because there are cures for syphilis now. Right,
0: right. No, no, no. Like if he had just been like ah. Oh, Doc, I got the I got I got the dirty hot dog. They would have been like, yeah, we're here. We'll patch you up, and they can do some things. Yeah, and they could keep things at bay and help. But the problem is, his went untreated. He had syphilis. He had gonorrhea. He was on cocaine. He had you know he just not a good mix. Um. So that's that's pretty much the story of Al Capone. I know it's not what you're used to hearing, but that's because. You can get what you're used to hearing. A billion other places. Please do not tell us that, well, you know, this and that. It's like, yes, because we saw it on the History Channel, and you can too. (laughs) And it's no shortage of them. But the St. Valentine's Day massacre is interesting. Yeah. His capture is interesting. And the fact of his state. I don't think people actually give enough credit that Al just pretty much broke down. I mean, literally, from syphilis at the end of his life. Like, by the time he was arrested, he couldn't have continued his... Crime anyway. It wasn't like he was brought down by tax evasion. He was locked up for tax evasion. He was brought down by By syphilis. syphilis. Yeah. So, I just wanted to clear the air on that. I mean, this kid, the son of a barber, Mm -hmm. becomes king of Chicago crime. Yeah. Runs with some of the biggest names like we've covered in other episodes where he comes up a lot. Right. And then loses it all because he couldn't keep it in his pants.
1: Yeah, you know, and there was a one point that I noticed, or some story that I I knew about was where, you know, this he was in jail around the time that the Lindenberg baby came up missing. Oh, King Kim, that yeah, and he offered to help find the Lindenberg baby, with the um, the request being that they let him out of jail early. You know, and they shot the deal down. Well, yeah, but I I kind of felt like that was a big that was a big. St- I really felt like they would have found the Lindenberg baby and maybe alive even. Had yeah. had they let I him know. out. I don't think I he had anything to do with that. But. He didn't have anything to do with it, but I think that he was such a prominent figure that he. And then out. it was
0: so it was done so quickly. I, yeah. Yeah. Baby's probably dead by the time Capone knew. Yeah. Well. Possibly. Um, now the man that ran Chicago before Torrio, yeah, was none other than Big Jim Calissimo himself, oh. who it is rumly believed was gunned down by none other than Capone. Mm. So Capone may have set himself up for the throne way in advance. Well, well not way, way in advance, but... Well, he might not have known that's what he's doing, but he took Calissimo out and that, yeah. have, that put Torio in, which then, escalating the war, put Capone in. Capone in. So do you think that Capone was any part of Torio being shot up? No, no. There were definitely yeah. a war. There was a hard war.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. So, no, no chance that Capone said it's Well, I mean,
0: there's always a chance, but the, yeah. the the moral of the story is that, no, they had been, I, I mean, after they had just called, killed O'Bannon, yeah. there was little chance that they didn't know a retaliation strike at the leadership wasn't going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it was their move, too. So, I think so. Um, one of the crazier parts of this that I don't think people uh, understand when we see Capone in a lot of photos, he was only 26 when he took over the Chicago mob. Damn. I mean, imagine that. I mean, 26-year-old and doing it, that's crazy.
1: Yeah, it is crazy.
0: Uh, what's even more insane is there were nine Capone children, of yeah. which four were involved with bootlegging one way or another. There's, of course, Al, yeah. who we just talked about, and you should know again. There was Ralph Bottles, Raffaele, who was in charge of the Chicago bottling ap- operation. Yeah. And there was Salvatore Frank Capone. Yeah who worked side-by-side without from the Five Point Gangs to Chicago and was actually the one that was killed by the cops hmm. when they were taking over Cicero. And then there was uh, Vicenzo, Two Guns, who was the oldest of the Capones. Yeah. And actually known as Richard Hart. What? Yeah, Two Guns. Obviously, the worst of the Capones with the name like Two Guns. You probably never heard of him because he went by Richard Hart. And he was a Prohibition agent. Oh, 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 man. He, he worked in Nebraska. That's right. Two guns was the good side. Mm. <laughs> and the really good one, actually, not only was a probie, he was a Bureau of Indian Affairs special agent. Oh. He once guarded the president. Huh. He worked with the Spokane Indian Reservation. He was an Idaho cop and a Justice of the Peace. He's rumored to have arrested, or he's not rumored, he's known
1: yeah. to
0: have caught, over, or arrested, caught, I don't know. How you want to phrase? Over 20 killers in Washington alone. Damn. So components. Little hit or miss. So I wonder how <laughs> what Christmas dinner was like. <laughs> yeah, right? You want the, you wanted the, the haircut? No, no, Dad, I don't want a haircut. <laughs> I have billions of dollars from my brick job. store. Yeah, from my job. My legitimate businesses. Ha ha ha. It's like, what about yeah. you two guns? You're not eating. It's like, oh, no, I'm good. I've got to go talk to some legitimate businessmen <laughs> about their legitimate business licenses not yeah. being in place. Right. <laughs> but that's just badass. Like, yeah. I mean, you, you got you got, you do have two sides of the coin there. Yeah, you do. But it's like, who's your son? Al Capone. Little people just shake their head. Who's your other son? Richard Hart. Got to catch all them killers? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, 50-50. You're doing good. You're doing good. <laughs> 50-50. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Oh, the man who gave Al his scar. Yeah. Actually became one of his bodyguards. Oh, yeah. I did know this. Yeah. So that's...
1: I mean, you would think that he would have killed him. I'm just... Saying. Well,
0: I mean, but that shows someone respects him. Mm-hmm. He must have really thought something, the guy. Well, I mean, if the guy's good enough to get a, a, a scar on Al... It's oh, like, yeah. you're a good to you get by my fast hands... Yeah. They used to call me Snorky the Quick. That's not like a name for a damn shark. <laughs> Cartoon shark. Cartoon shark. shark yeah. that's the one I'm naming on your shirt. That's his name. The a name. Snorky? The, the name of that shark is Snorky. Do that, kid. Let's do it. Uh, I'm not putting it on there, but fans, when you know each other, if you see someone wearing the shirt, you'll know some people just bought it because it's cool. Because we're like that. Right. But if you see some people that have it and you think they might be a listener, just. Say Snorky, Snorky says Snorky says hello, and they'll know what's going. On. That's correct. Um, now this is an interesting tie-in that probably no one else will report because it only really matters to us. One of the guns from the St. Valentine's Day massacre, specifically with one with the number two three four seven, was originally purchased in 1924 by a corrupt cop in none other than Williams or Williams County. I'm sorry, in none other than William County, Illinois. By, of course... Or, sorry. Which is, of course, the home of none other than Charlie, Charlie Berger. Berger. Yeah. So there is a chance yeah. that this gun once passed through the hands of a man who said, You can get some bullets. <laughs> so true. So true. Okay. So we ran down Al Capone in a non-traditional way. I, I feel like we did a good job. That's what we set out to do. Yeah. Good uh, what. What do you get? Because this was my turn to have a lesson, and I, I tried to make it interesting and bring up things people might not know. I tried to focus on the parts that I found interesting about the man. Yeah. Uh, so, where are you? So, I,
1: I really feel like this was a great episode. Um, as far as Al Capone, because I think Al Capone does epitomize gangster from from any gangster, like any, the most famous gangster, which the exercise you did at the beginning of the show was spot on. You know, I, I think some listeners will find uh, they won't come up with Al Capone, but uh, you know that's probably part of the game. The game, you're know, going to look at the episode and say, "Oh, obviously it's Al Capone," right? But those who play along and actually utilize the the element of surprise will find that we often nine times out of ten will come up with Al Capone.
0: I find it hard not to. Yeah, I mean, there's of course John Dillinger could be a name, sure. Um, you know, Machine Gun Kelly, the name you know. But my, my thing it wasn't just so much just coming up with him. It's the, if I, and I want to do this experiment. If I can give you a name, a nickname, and a face. Yeah. How, how many people can line up? I think that's what we should
1: do. We should do something like that. When this show releases, I think maybe the, up to the show releasing, we should have kind of like a poll where we have, who is this person? You know, like, and we get four options. And we put a face out there. What was their nickname? You know, who was this person? What was their nickname? And then
0: match them up. You can see. That. I don't know. I would ju- I would just like to find out yeah. what's going on because I do feel that Al Capone is probably one of the most recognizable, if not Absolutely. the most recognizable, gangster. Yeah. I mean, Tony Soprano probably, but uh, I don't think that counts I mean. as fictional. I'm talking about real gangsters and, uh, you know, of the famous time, which is this. Um. I don't think there's any real insight to the gangsters because we didn't talk about what Al does. Al operates through wanton violence. Um, Yeah. I think that's pretty well known. I think that that's the focus why I brought to St. Valentine's Day massacres because that's the one everyone knows. That's the one that's important. And you gun down all these men. Yeah. Under such a guise. Mm -hmm. With such planning. And from the outside. You really see that like for a guy who firebombs and does drive-bys. The, to go to this to buy off the mayor, to buy off the cops, there's yeah. not really a lot of. When well, I said scorched earth in the other show, uh, when we were talking about Dutch shows. Right. Al Capone is about as. I mean, he took over an entire town outside yeah. of the suburb so he could lay waste to. He's putting siege to Chicago. Yeah. He literally, like, when I was reading this, the only thing I could think of was this man must have been a fan of, like, Medieval tactics. Because yeah. he is literally preparing. He, he fought this town for two years to take it over so that he could then use it to lay siege to Chicago. Chicago, right. It is smart. And he is totally what would have been a magnificent general of a medieval army. I agree. And I'm like, this is, this is why this guy gets it. Now, of course, it did come back to bite him in the ass. I mean, yeah, a little bit. But what do you do? I mean, he was running an illegal business and he got caught. Yeah, that's always the risk. Yeah, I agree. I do think that he did a really good job of, you know, rising from not a Nothing crime, something, yeah, not, not a crime family to being king of Chicago, right. But at the same time, syphilis of yeah. all the things that could actually bring down the man known as Chicago. Like, well, I always I wanted to touch on that because I felt like everyone always says that you know. What brought him down was tax evasion and the long arm of the FBI. And it's oh. like, they locked him up. Yeah. They got him to admit he was wrong. But the reason why alcohol never went back and never did anything else probably boils down to holes in his brain.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I'd have to say I agree with that.
0: I don't know. But it was. It sounds sounds like uh, people will probably learn their lesson from this show. Other gangsters out there or ghost of gangsters thinking that they should have done things. Yeah. Should have gone the Torio route, not the Capone route. Man, I think that's fair. But um, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? It is. Mm. It is. Especially if you're a ghost. Um, as always, these shows are brought to you by our patrons. Indeed. And one special patron is Ray Walden Jr., who donates $20 a month to the show to keep us going, which is good because we do find ways to spend this money that we probably wish we didn't have to, such as... Sound ba- baffling and replacing charger cords and batteries yeah. and mic cables and uh, paying for when hosting. we have guests, oh, yeah, guests and our hosting for other mm-hmm. things. Like when we have guests, what I mean by paying, we don't pay people to be guests, but we uh, do. No, we definitely don't pay people to be ghosts. That's correct, uh, or guests or guests. But we do have to use uh, programs that record our audio and make sure that they're safeguards. So we're recording cloud. We're fancy. And our chart goes in there. We also like to talk to our fans. Of course, if you reach out to us on Twitter, we'll talk to you most of the time. Facebook, same. Instagram, not so much. Uh, But that's also because that's where people find us. Lastly, I guess. Just be cool. Don't do crime. And
1: until next time, this has been Shalom. And that has been Desmond. And we're not historians. Yep.